Welcome to Salem Chapel. If you're uh, new with us, my name is Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. If you're watching us online, uh, welcome to you as well. If you're listening to this later on in the week, we're glad that you are doing so. We are continuing in our series, That You May Believe, walking through the Gospel of John. Now, I said this at the 9 a.m., I'll say it here at the 11. You know, you may be thinking to yourself, we've been in the book of John for a long time. Uh, If you have been with us in the fall, we started walking through the Gospel of John in the middle of October. And we didn't stop in the Christmas holidays. We kept walking through the book of John. And, and as, as we're all well aware of, if you call this place your home, we've been doing so. And we will do so today. And Lord willing, we will do so until the week after Easter. And so I know that oftentimes, depending on what church you've come from, that, that could feel a bit unusual. And, and I just, I, every so often, it's good for me to stop and to remind us of the why behind the what. Like, why do we do this? Why are we doing this? And at Salem Chapel, our mission statement, if you're to compact it into a short phrase, it would be this, to make and mobilize disciples of Jesus. If you have kids in our Salem Kids, I promise you, they know that better than you do. You ask them what M&M stands for, they will tell you, I promise you. But that's our mission statement. And if we're to think about that compact phrase, to make and mobilize disciples of Jesus, then here's what we, the next thing that we need to clarify is, well, how do we define a disciple at Salem Chapel? And obviously the definition that we have at Salem Chapel may be different than other churches and how they were to disciple, but obviously regardless of what the definition, definition is, it needs to be rooted in scripture, which ours is, and here's how we define a disciple. You may not realize it or not, but it's on the, the wall of the cafe when you get your coffee closest to the door, uh, side door that leads down the stairs into this auditorium. We define a disciple like this, someone who is abiding in Jesus and equipping others to do the same. So if you think about that definition and you're inquisitive, then you're probably asking yourself, okay, I I get that definition, but I got to ask, what does abiding mean? And so we defined abide this way because that word that we, we will look at again next week in John 15, Lord willing, means to remain, to commune, to be in relationship with. So we've defined abide this way, walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. Another definition that if you have children, I promise you they know as good, if not better than you. Why do I say all of those things? Because I've been doing this for over 20 years by God's grace, been in ministry, pastoring, preaching. But outside of being in ministry and pastoring and preaching for 20 some years, I've been a follower of Jesus Christ even more. And here's what I've come to realize in my life, that I've often asked this question, How does Jesus make a difference in what I'm experiencing today? And there's been times in my life where I couldn't answer that question. And one of the convictions that we have at Salem Chapel is that the purpose of why we exist is more than just gathering a crowd in an auditorium one day a week to provide something for your kids for an hour and a half one day a week so that you can get some reprieve 
to provide something for your teenagers so that they can have some positive influences in their life, that there's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But we actually exist for something much greater. The reason why the Lord has started the church all the way in Acts 2 and why we exist today so that we can help one another be better disciples of Jesus, so we can learn what it means to abide with Jesus. And so if we've defined abide as walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way, then I also know our nature finds it hard to abide with someone that we may feel like has not followed through with what he promised. I don't want to abide with someone like that. So the reason why we've taken time to walk through the book of John for this long and to actually look at the book of John over any other book in the New Testament is because there's not a greater gospel, there's not a greater book in the New Testament that tells us who Jesus is than the gospel of John. Given to us by the Holy Spirit through one of the apostles that was closest with Jesus. See, if I'm going to abide with Jesus, then I need to remind myself or understand or realize maybe even for the first time who Jesus is. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we're having you follow along in a reading plan the week before we actually teach on it. Is so that the Holy Spirit can show you who Jesus is. So in John 14, verses 15 through 29, that's where we are this morning. And I think every so often it's good to remind ourselves of the why behind the what. You may have other people at other churches that, and there's a lot of great, great churches here in Winston-Salem, are like, you're still in the book of John? Well, now you know what to tell them. And I'm not saying that for any other reason than you to know that you know, here at Salem Chapel, we really believe it's so important for us to walk through books. Not that we don't deal with topical things, but so that you understand what God's word is for yourselves. So look at verse 15 of John 14. Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, capital H, if your Bible doesn't have helper with a capital H, see me afterwards, I'll get you another Bible <laughs> to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. Can't just get the Holy Spirit on your own is what Jesus is saying. But Jesus says this to his disciples, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. You ought to underline that phrase in your Bible. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while then the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love and manifest myself to him. Can we just stop right there? Here's what I know. Is oftentimes we can read a passage of Scripture like this, and more than 
Jesus promising a helper, capital H. You know what we see when we read these verses? We get overwhelmed with shame and guilt because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then we say to ourselves, but Jesus, I haven't kept all your commandments this week. So where does that leave me? You're like, Jesus, does that mean that I'm not a follower of Jesus? Does that mean I'm not saved? As you say, whoever is my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. We're going to speak to that. And let me just give you a spoiler alert. That doesn't mean that if you weren't perfect this week, that somehow that affects your position with Jesus. But we'll talk more about that. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, important clarification John gives us, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There's that tension that you may have in your heart again. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. Verse 26, this is what we're going to key on. But the Helper, capital what? H, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Here's what he'll do. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Here's the title of the message this morning. Your Helper. Capital H, your helper. And here's really the idea that I want us to get today is that Jesus is inviting you. I've said, I've said that every week because, because what does John say? Here's why I've written this gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is inviting you to believe who he is. But to believe what this morning? Jesus is inviting you to believe the Holy Spirit is your helper. Capital H. For all of life's circumstances. For the stuff that you're experiencing right now, he's your helper. Capital H. For the things that you will experience tomorrow, he's your helper. Capital H. For the things that you'll experience down the road if the Lord gives you those days, he's your helper, capital H. That Jesus has, or the Holy Spirit has been your helper, capital H, in the things that you've already encountered in the past that you're still trying to make sense of. He's your helper for all of life's circumstances. Why do I say that? Because at the end of verse 29, Jesus says this, I'm doing this, I want you to understand that this is happening, that the Holy Spirit is coming. I want you to believe. You may believe that I'm giving you a gift. And that word believe has the idea of keep on believing. Yes, there's a time that you believe in who Jesus is for you. His perfect life, his perfect death, and his resurrection. But there is a continual believing as I grow in understanding more and more who Jesus is. Now, my continual believing is, does not 
continue to keep me saved. No, 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 that happens when I put my trust in Jesus. But me growing in my belief is an ongoing thing. Let me give you three reasons this morning why you can believe the Holy Spirit is your helper. We've already read this passage, so I'm not gonna read it again, but here's the first reason. It's found in verses 16 and 17. Because he makes his home in you. He makes his home in you. It says there, for he, Jesus saying, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So right now, he's with you. You want to know who the Holy Spirit is? Jesus is saying, look at me. But he's also going to be in you. Now for us, on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not will be in you, it's he is in you. See, here's one of the things that I think we oftentimes say to ourselves. And maybe, the, maybe this, you've said this yourself, maybe not in this way, but, but in, with this idea. Well, Johnny, I, I, I've read through the book of John up to this point, and I keep thinking to myself, you know what? If Jesus was physically with me right now, I would feel differently about what I'm experiencing. Like literally, if he was sitting in the seat right next to me as I'm sitting here in Salem Chapel or he's sitting in my living room in my house as I'm watching this, and there's Jesus, he's right there. I can see him with my own two eyes. Then I think I would react a little bit differently to what I'm experiencing. Don't raise your hand, but I'm sure all of us have thought that at one point or another. But can we just embrace a little bit of self-awareness this morning? Can we do that? So you've got 11 disciples here listening to this who for three years have left everything. They've lived with Jesus. They've eaten with Jesus. They've slept where Jesus slept. They've seen Jesus turn water into wine. They've seen Jesus spit into dirt and take that dirt, rub it in his hands, put it on a blind man's eyes, and, and that blind man now sees. They've seen Jesus heal people of leprosy. They've seen Jesus heal lame men. They've seen Jesus turn five loaves and two fish to be able to feed over 5,000 people twice. And probably the most paramount thing other than Jesus raising himself from the dead after he dies on the cross, they saw Jesus call a dead man out of a grave who's been there for four days and he, to see him walk out of that grave and then they got to eat with that guy. And they still doubted. So the reason why I say let's embrace some self-awareness is I'm not going to categorize myself as being any more obedient or holy or intelligent than those disciples. So if Jesus was physically with me right now, as awesome as that would be, I still would doubt. See, what Jesus is saying here is, there is something significant that's about to happen. 
And even though it's going to seem like I am leaving, I'm not. John 14, 16, we just read it, but let me read it again. It says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, capital H, to be with you. What's the next word? Forever. Forever. Verse 17, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. John 14, 9 says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. What is Jesus saying? You want to know who God is? I'm showing you his character. You want to know who the Holy Spirit is? I'm showing you his character. Now, can we, just, can we just pretend like we all got thinking caps on? Let's pretend like we're down in Salem Kids, all right? We're gonna, we're gonna literally act this out. All right, let's all put our thinking caps on. Can we do that? I'm serious. Don't let me be the only one. All right, there you go. There you go. Awesome. You guys are great. Because here's why I'm having you do this. Because we gotta talk just a moment, just to dive in just a little bit, dip our toe in understanding a little bit about the Trinity. Now you know why I said to put your thinking cap on. So let me in the next three to four minutes, as much tension as I'm living in right now, to just dive into that a little bit, to explain a little bit of who the Trinity is and the significance of why that's important to what we've just read. The Trinity is made up of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. I've seen people try to illustrate that a million different ways, and guess what? Every illustration falls short. There's tension, like how can you have one God and three persons and it makes my mind hurt, Johnny? And here's the thing, that tension's actually a good thing because it reminds you that you have someone that is bigger than you. So if I could explain the Trinity this morning and everybody could walk around and say, I got it, I got it, I understand completely, then I have devalued and actually done, a dis- done an injustice to who God is. One God Three persons. Can I just clarify this? One God, three persons. Not one God, three personalities. Like we don't serve a God who has multiple personalities. It's not the God we serve. Why do I say that? Because of what Jesus just said, what I read in John 14, 6, what I read in John 14, 9. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He speaks of the Holy Spirit in saying, he dwells with you. Like you want to know who the Holy Spirit is, the one that I'm promising, the helper? I am the manifestation of what the Holy Spirit is. The Bible speaks of the Father as God. Like how do we, how do we get this, this doctrine? Philippians 1-2 speaks of the Father as God. Titus 2-13 speaks of Jesus as God. Acts 5, 3 and 4 speaks of the Holy Spirit as God. And we can get a lot more passage of scriptures, I get it. Do they have different roles? Yes, they do. You see, God is the Father. He's creator. Jesus is spoken of as redeemer. He's the one that saves. The Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies, who grows us in our relationship with the Lord. Do they have different roles? Yes, but they're the same person. They're the same God, three persons, not three personalities. Think about it this way. In Isaiah 14, you have the prophecy of the Messiah of Jesus. And who is he called in Isaiah 7? He's called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. In Matthew chapter 1, 
You have the angel appearing to Joseph. And Joseph's freaked out because the woman that he's betrothed to, the woman that he loves, has just told him that she is pregnant. And he knows it's not his, but yet she's saying that the Holy Spirit is the one who has conceived a child in her. And he's trying to understand and make sense of that and saying, is Mary telling me the truth? What's going to happen? What's going to happen with my reputation? And the angel is, appears to Joseph. And the angel says to Joseph, you're going to call this son Emmanuel. Well, God with us. Think about the Old Testament and think about the tabernacle that they set up and they tore down as they wandered through the wilderness. And God symbolized his presence with his people as a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And then when they would set up camp, that pillar of fire and, or that pillar of cloud, it would rest over the Holy of Holies. What did that symbolize? That God was with his people. You think about when they built a temple, what would happen? That presence would fill that temple in the Holy of Holies, symbolizing that God's presence was with his people. But in the Old Testament, as much as God's presence was with his people, there was still a little bit of distance because there was different courts that you could enter into if you were a man versus a woman. And there was different courts only so far you could go to if you weren't a Jew. And there was only, only the high priest once a year could go into the most holy of holies where, where God's presence was. And so when we look at even the birth of Jesus and Jesus coming into this world, there's significance in that he's called Emmanuel, God with us. What's the point? Is Jesus was entering into our sinful and broken world to restore what had been tarnished by sin. He was saying, there was a time where I created a perfect world and I created man and woman that were perfect and I could commune with them and walk with them in the cool of the day and walk with them in the cool of the evening. And there was communion, there was intimacy, there was relationship because sin wasn't present but sin came into the world Adam and Eve sinned and that sin was broken and that relationship was broken and Adam and Eve had to be thrown out of the garden to symbolize that God cannot have a relationship with sinful people so Jesus in his love put on human flesh he entered our world and he said I am going to do what mankind has broken I am going to restore that relationship I am going to provide the reality that God can be with his people That's why he lived a perfect life. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he rose again. And here is what he is saying to his disciples. It's going to seem like I've left you as orphans. His disciples don't understand all of this, but it's going to seem like I left you when I'm on the cross. And I'm going to come back and you're going to see me and you're going to be excited because I'm not dead. But then I'm going to ascend into the heaven. And it's going to feel like I've left you as orphans. But I haven't left you. Because you're going to receive the third person of the Godhead who lives inside of you. What's the point of all this? Okay, Jesus has his home in me. What's the point? Because here's often how we view the Trinity. God the Father's number one. God the Son, Jesus, is number two. And in a distant third is the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I thought I forgot about the significance of that. 
And so often we view the Holy Spirit as this, as this smoke or whatever else that just kind of descends and floats around and, and, and breathe them in and breathe them out and all those things like that. But I want you to understand something, that the Holy Spirit is as much of a person as Jesus is and as God is. So when Jesus says that a Holy Spirit, the helper, is coming to live inside of his people, what he is saying is, is, is God is going to dwell in you. Let me clarify, that doesn't make you God. That makes a cult. But God is in you. Not third-rate God, God. Third-person Holy Spirit. R.A. Torrey, who was a Evangelists and pastors in the late 1800s and early 1900s says this, if we grasp the thought that the Holy Spirit is a divine person of infinite majesty, glory, and holiness, and power, who in marvelous condescension, in other words, coming down, has come into our hearts to make his abode there and to take possession of our lives and make use of them. It will put us in the dust and keep us in the dust. I can think of no thought more humbling or more overwhelming than the thought that a person of divine majesty and glory dwells in my heart and is ready to use even me. Look at verse 23 again. Jesus says, we will make our home with him. If you had trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit has made his home in you. Can I just tell you this? The Holy Spirit can't make his home anywhere. Now, I've lived... Before I, some of you may know me, we've got a lot of new people that have come to Salem Chapel in the last year, so I don't take for granted that all of you know this. Some of you get to hear my stories over and over again. So just bear with me. Like I'll be like the old granddad that you hear the stories over and over again. But before I moved up, I've lived, we've lived here, our family's lived here for a little over five years. And Winston-Sam, before that, we lived in Naples, Florida for 10 years. There's good of that, and there's not so good about living in Naples for over 10 years. Here's the not so good. It's caused me to be a little bit, you may not be familiar with this term, bougie. I don't know if that's still an N word. Like I remember when I, before I moved to Naples, I remember we were on this trip and I had to pick up my sister-in-law who was, who was um, I was the only one free, so I went to pick up my sister-in-law. She was at the time uh, living in Miami and so I drove down there to pick her up and we rode, rode back to bring her back to northern Pennsylvania where she was from and, and some guy in our church gave us, um, the hotel will remain nameless so not to offend anyone, uh, gave us a certificate to stay free at this place. So we go and we get our rooms, and I'm telling you, man, they said it was a no smoking room, but somebody broke the rules. I mean, it was, it was just one of those hotel rooms where you ain't getting under the sheets if you get my drift. Like, you're just sleeping on top of the sheets and it's a place to sleep or whatever. But I really didn't think much of it. See, that was pre-Naples. 
But now when I want to stay at somewhere, I mean, I don't have a lot of high standards, but I'm like, I want the room to smell good. I want the sheets to be clean. I want to make sure they got soap. You know, I'm not asking much. But my standards have rose a little bit to where I would like to lodge when I'm away from my own home. And I blame that on Naples. So I'm like, man, I, don't, I used to be able to stay anywhere, but not so much anymore. Now here's the thing, I always have to make caveat statements. That's my life as a pastor. So if you ever invite me over to your house, I'm gonna be so excited to go over to your house. I'm gonna be so excited that we can enjoy one another's company. I'm not thinking about what you painted your walls or whether you swept your floor or what pillows are on your couch. So don't, don't go there, okay? You can answer that. <laughs> but I just, that's just what's, what's happened. Now that's a... That's a very silly idea, but my point in bringing that out is the Holy Spirit can't make his home anywhere. But see, that's the significance of what Jesus did. See, when I place my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is applied on my behalf, and it makes me clean before a holy God, so that the Holy Spirit can make his home in me. See, what Jesus does when I place my trust in him is he cleans house, positionally. Even though I struggle, even though I struggle with my sin nature, positionally, I am seen by God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus as who I will be. But at the beginning of chapter 14, here's the significance. Jesus encourages his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. And what does he say? We talked about this last week. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to talk about my person. I'm going to talk about this place that I'm preparing. But now we come to this section and he says again, let not your hearts be troubled. But he doesn't say, I'm going to prepare a place for you, like he said at the beginning of John 14. Now he says, I am also making a place within you. See, the word place that we find in verse 2 of chapter 14, and the word of home in verse 23, they're the exact same word. So what Jesus is saying is, I don't want your hearts to be troubled. I want you to understand in all of life's circumstances, the good and the difficult, the beauty of the Holy Spirit, and the gift that he is, and the gift of my love for you. Because yes, I'm going to prepare a place for you, future, but what I want you to understand in the present is I'm also preparing a place within you. That's why we say, when I place my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior, my forever with him starts then. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me now, his home is with me now, but his home will always be with me. So on those times in my life where I'm believing that I'm alone, But nobody else gets me. And nobody else understands me. When I believe the lie that I'm alone, and it leads itself to self-pity, 
and it leads itself to the conclusion that nobody cares. The significance of the Holy Spirit making his home in me is the reality that those are never true of me. And they're never true of you. Because Jesus says, I have made my home with you. I know what some of you are thinking. Johnny, I want to believe that. I know theologically that's true. I understand that. But I'm struggling in how that makes a difference and what I'm feeling right now. Which is why Jesus says this. Look at verse 26. But the helper, capital H, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things. See, that's the second reason why the Holy Spirit is my helper. He makes his home in me. As amazing as that is. Oh, I need to be reminded of that this week. The thing that the Lord did in me as I worked in this passage, just asking the Lord to show me, God, what do you have for me? Is because I have so devalued in my life the gift of the Holy Spirit and what I have in him. So easily I'm flippant with that. Yeah, I got the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. God lives within me. And he's committed to teach me all things. Here's the second thing. He's your greatest teacher. He knows you don't all have it today together. He knows you're still growing. He knows you're still trying to understand these concepts and the significance of them in your life. He understands that. Jesus understands that. God the Father understands that, which is why Jesus says he is going to be committed to teach you all things. That word teach literally means this, formal instruction, like the idea of sitting in a classroom, book open, teacher talking, taking notes, learning new information. But it also has the idea of informal instruction, like me taking what I've know, what I've learned through the Bible, and actually seeing how it fits into what I'm living in right now. So when it says he will teach you all things, what it's saying is, is the Holy Spirit, the helper, is committed to teach you formally more about him, but he's also committed to help you connect the dots to how that makes a difference in your life. When I think about my own life, I think about verses that, man, I've had memorized for three quarters of my life. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Right, we know that verse, what faith is. No, Lord, I have to have faith. Regardless of what I know, I have to have faith. I have to believe in what I necessarily can't see, to have a conviction of who you are. Yeah, I could quote that verse all the way back in Awanas, if you know what that was. When I was in Sparks, if you know what that was. I mean, I had the little jewels, all the crowns on my vest. Like, I had that verse memorized, bro. Five years old, I had it memorized. Had this one memorized too, Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I had a, I had a jewel for that in my crown, on my little red vest. I also... 
When I was a little kid, I had memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. I've known those verses almost my entire life. I probably had them said over me before I could even read. But I think in my life on how the Holy Spirit continues to teach me. I think about when I was a college student. First time away from home. You know what it's like when you've gone to college. Some of you are about to go to college. You're excited about that. You're nervous about that. I remember my second year of college, not knowing how I was going to pay for that year. And hearing that God led someone to pay for my entire sophomore year of college and allowed me to work my way through the rest of the school without going home. That's the first significant thing in my life to where I saw Hebrews 11.1, not just formally, but informally played out in my life. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. I think about when we moved from northern Pennsylvania to go down to Florida and to help start churches, and as crazy as that an idea was, with a three-year-old and a three-month-old, moving those grandkids away from their grandparents who only lived two miles from our house, and seeing God provide two years of wages that we needed in a matter of three weeks. I can look back and say, the Holy Spirit was teaching me all things. See, he was playing out Philippians 4.19 from formal instruction to informal because he was showing me, Johnny, I will supply all your needs according to my riches in Christ Jesus. I think about not just amazing things, but I think about very difficult things that I've had to walk through, Lori and, have had, Lori and I have had to walk through, that I never would want to live again. But in the midst of all those things, you know what I can see? That the Holy Spirit is my greatest teacher. Because he's helping me to see that when I trust in him and don't lean on my own understanding, and in all my ways acknowledge him. He will make straight my paths. Why do I emphasize those things? Because I think so often we forget what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. As he lives in you. He's teaching you all things. He knows you don't know everything. He knows you're struggling right now to take what you know and apply it to your life. But he's not threatened by that. He's not intimidated by that. He's not wagging his finger at you. What he's saying is, is I'm going to teach you all things. And there's been times in my life where I've had learned things the hard way. And there's been times in my life where I've, had to, where I've gotten the privilege to learn things in different ways. But what we need, to, we need to remind ourselves of is the beauty of the Holy Spirit being called my helper this morning. Because it's not dependent on you to teach yourself. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the third thing. It's almost like Jesus is reading our minds, is it not? 
It's like, well, Jesus, life would be a whole lot easier if I could see you, if I could have you right next to me when I go to work tomorrow and I sit in my cubicle in a job that I don't necessarily like, but I could see you sitting right next to me or in that boardroom or in that car as I make this business trip and I'm a little nervous or in this deal that I have to do. If I could actually see you right next to me, it'd make it so much easier. And Jesus is literally saying to you today, I am with you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He's made his home in you. But I can't understand all of that, Jesus. I don't understand how that fits into my life, how that makes a difference into my life. It's okay. I'm your greatest teacher. Well, well, Jesus, what if, I, what if I forget what I'm supposed to know and how to apply it? What if I forget all that? What if I forget something? What if I don't do something right? What does it say in verse 26? And this helper will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Why does he say that? Because when good times come, we have a tendency to be like, ah, I don't really need you. Holy Spirit, just chill out in the back seat. I got this. And when difficult times come, man, we're so scattered that we forget who we have with us as well. But the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, I'm going to be your guide. I'm going to be your most trusted guide. See, that's the third reason why he's our helper. He's our most trusted guide. More than Apple Maps or Google Maps or whatever else you put your trust in to give you direction to where you're going. I get it. I use it almost every day. I'm directionally challenged. But that can also be true of me spiritually. But what the Holy Spirit is saying is, is I'm not going to let you journey this life alone. I'm going to be your guide. How do we experience the Holy Spirit as our helper? Because remember I said we can see those verses in, in this passage of scripture where he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And it can seem like the Holy Spirit being my helper and living inside of me is all dependent upon me, the, me experiencing the closeness and the oneness with, with God in my life and my relationship and abiding with him can feel like it's dependent upon me. And that's not the point. The point is, is my obedience to the Lord in what Jesus has said. Me relying on the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me is not driven by guilt. Like some of you this week when you read this, you're like, oh, another reminder, I'm not good enough. But what does Jesus say? If you feel guilty, you'll keep my commandments. If you feel shame, you'll keep my commandments. If you remind yourself that I'm literally going to bring something bad into your life, you'll keep my commandments. It doesn't say that, does it? Look at what it says. It says, if you love me. See, what motivates my obedience to the Lord? It's me reminding myself what I've been given. See, 
My justification, being made right with God positionally, had nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. But as I receive the Holy Spirit, here's the reality. The Holy Spirit, I have his power within me. His person lives within me. But whether or not I experience the effects of that and the power of that and the growth in that also involves my will. I have to make a choice every day whether or not I'm going to submit to that. That's why when we said last week, and I'll put it up on the screen again, how do I experience the Holy Spirit as my helper? Well, first of all, I have to humble myself. I have to admit that I need him. What did R.A. Torrey say? When we actually think about that God lives inside of us, what will it do, man? It'll drive us to our knees, not in a bad way, but in a thankful way, in a loving way. What else do I do? I gotta make sure I take the time to get into his word and abide with him there and say, Jesus, this is how you talk to me. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of me takes the Lord's words and what does he do? He teaches me all things. He takes those things that I'm learning as I'm reading his word and he helps me see how those connect into my everyday life but not apart from me abiding in his word, abiding in prayer, me talking to him. Lord, I'm struggling with this. Lord, I'm, I don't understand this. Lord, would you help me to see you in this? What happens when I pray those prayers? He answers. And then I have to be obedient to not just hearing those things and reading his word but saying, Lord, I'm gonna submit to being obedient to what you said, not out of guilt, but because of what I've been given. Because you love me, I wanna love you. And I wanna submit to someone who has literally taken me, someone who is not worthy of anything from God, and he has placed God inside of me. And what's the result of that? Peace. Look at verses 27 through 29. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world's do I give to you. See, our nature is to look for peace in places. Look for peace in positions. Look for peace in possessions. But at best, when I've experienced those things, it's a passing peace. But Jesus is saying, that peace that I leave with you, that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, no, 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 that peace is not a passing peace. It's a growing peace. It's an everlasting peace. It's a peace that sustains you because it's anchored in the person of the Holy Spirit given through the person, Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, provided by God the Father in heaven. As an, I'm, and as I'm daily taking my will and submitting it to the Holy Spirit, my peace grows. So would you stand with me this morning? And as we sing this song about the Holy Spirit, can we just take time in this song 
to thank the Lord that God is with you. Emmanuel. That when you walk out of these doors, you take the Holy Spirit with you. At night, in the middle of the night, when you're struggling, the Holy Spirit, as it says in Romans 8, is praying for you with words that you don't even know to pray. What a gift that is. Lord, I thank you today for the Holy Spirit. Lord, if there's someone who is standing here, watching online, listening later on, that they would understand that in order to receive this, they just simply need to call out to you to believe that you lived and you died and you rose again for their sins and to place their trust in you and the Holy Spirit can be at home in them. So God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.